I was looking at my social media and my Facebook feed and seeing as we were moving into this sort of period of quarantine and isolation, how much people were turning to the humanities and the arts just to kind of stay alive. That's Jean Allman, director of the Center for the Humanities at Washington University in St. Louis. The trend she noticed, people searching for and thinking with and turning to the humanities, that's a trend that we've been tracking on a broader scale here at the Consortium for Humanities Centers and Institutes. I'm Sarah Geyer, Dorothy Dreheim Professor of English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and president of CHCI. This series is meant to showcase the work the humanities centers and institutes are doing right now to engage with the publics they serve. It's meant to highlight the new strategies that might be needed to meet these publics, but also the well-established practices that continue to define the work of the humanities. It's our hope that it might also help other humanists and humanity centers think about their programming for the upcoming months and years. Back in April, Jean wanted to add to the humanities conversations she was seeing in her feeds. So she launched Lifelines, a project that gave participants a daily poetry prompt, five key words that must be used, seven or eight lines to use them. The response was remarkable. Undergrads to professors emeritus, lifelong poets and those just starting out, people inside the university and well beyond it. She spoke with Craig Ely about the project. Here's their conversation. Jean, hi. Hi. <laughs> Can you start by just introducing yourself with your title? Yeah, my name is Jean Allman. I'm the J.H. Hexter Professor in the Humanities at Washington University. And for the past six years, I've been directing the Center for the Humanities. So what was the Lifelines Project? So the Lifelines Project is a poetry initiative that started as a very little idea uh, in March. And it came from a couple of different places. One was my sort of looking at my social media and my Facebook feed and seeing as we were moving into this sort of period of quarantine and isolation, how much people were turning to the humanities and the arts just to kind of stay alive, um, to be connected to each other. So that was sort of one thing that got me thinking. And then for years, I've had this game that I play with my son where he sends me five words, I send him five words, and then we write a poem with those words, and then we meet for dinner and share poems. And uh, we've done this for years. I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, I, we haven't done poems for a while now. I think that this is something we should do. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's start it. And then he called me back and said, I'm going to add in a few more people. So he added in a few more people, and um, that got me thinking huh, maybe this could get even bigger. Maybe. What would happen if the center, the Center for the Humanities, sent out words? And so I started digging around, and I didn't know at the, at the time, this was in late March, that April was National Poetry Month. So then it was like, aha, this is some kind of you know predetermined thing happening here. So I reached out to a few people who are poets, which I am not. I write a lot of poetry, but I'm not a poet. And one, Aaron Coleman, who's a PhD student in Complet, but he also happens to be an award-winning poet. I reached out to him and said, I have this idea. He said, it sounds 
sounds fabulous. You should do it. He gave me some advice. He said, keep it simple, keep it predictable. So that's what we did. So we sent out an email uh, to, to our list saying, if you're interested in doing this, sign up. We had no idea how many people might would be interested. And um, April 1st, we posted our first five words. Um, very quickly, people started signing up and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. I'm Mark Olford, and this is my poem for April 6th. Brick bright evening light, the crunch of runners' feet. The river, too old to care, claps for their small win. Did you find a real high level of engagement from day one, or did things kind of build as the month went on? We had really low expectations. So I worked very closely with Kathleen Fields, who's our communications director. She picked images that kind of um, evoke networking and connections and lines crisscrossing. So visually, um, the invitation, I think, was very welcoming. I think at that moment, end of March, beginning of April, people were like, what is going on in this world? We were well over 100 after the first week, maybe 200. I mean, it, the number of people who signed up was grew very quickly. Um, but then the poems started coming in, 20 a day, 30 a day. One time we had 70 come in one day. I'm Gwyneth Hinkey, and I wrote this poem for April 15th. The prompt words were silent, oxygen, truth, dedication, Owl. Dawn. My mother discovered an owl in the early dark, on her way home from swimming. She retrieved him, her hair still wet, freezing in long brown cords by the time she returned to the car, her damp towel now dedicated to that silent form. We awoke to my father leading us by hand to where the small creature slept, inside a shoebox above the old white radiator. I asked him if he would live. I forget if he told me the truth, or what he imagined was the truth. Later that day, my mother, wise in matters of healing, drove us out west to a bird sanctuary. He needs oxygen, she explained, and we can't give him that. She seemed so brave, I remember thinking, and so sad. So I was just picking five words. Um, and so I reached out to Aaron. I said, Aaron, he's the poet I mentioned earlier. Why don't you give me uh, five words? I'd be interested to see what you do with the five words, right? So he put in five words and they got a nice response. And I was like, hmm, well, if we s invite people to curate five words, then they're going to send this out to their networks. That'll get us into different places. So we started reaching out first to different parts of campus. So the chancellor's office sent in words and the dean's office. But then we, we reached out to St. Louis's poet laureate. She was like, absolutely. She sent us words. So by the, you know, by the end of it all, we had over 1,200 poems posted over the 22 days that were the weekdays um, of April, which I think is quite extraordinary. And they're not all in English. We invited submissions in any language. I am Robert Henke, and this is my poem for April 10th. La mer et moi, 
C'est tout un monde quand je surveille les ondes. Sois mon désir, petite ficelle qui me relie au bleu ciel. Je rêve d'avoir des entretiens avec cette magnifique baleine, avec cette magnifique baleine. Yeah, the daily prompts were pretty remarkable, and that was a, I think, sort of a stroke of genius on your part. It just, it literally just became a lifeline. If you generate five words, and then those words come back to you in all different forms and formats, but in the in the context of a global pandemic, it's it's remarkable. Some people would write against the words, like the words really pointed to isolation and fear and pandemic, and people would would work really hard to create a poem with those words that didn't do any of those things. Sometimes the the collection of words generated very similar kind of sentiments almost across the board. I found myself thinking about the lifelines as a kind of a counter contagion that was, you know, kind of spreading in these same invisible ways through networks that we didn't understand. But it gave me something to count too, instead of, you know, fatalities or number of cases. I was like, oh my gosh, we got 70 poems yesterday. And as always, so-and-so wrote the one of the first three poems. I'm Mark Olford, and this is my poem for April 6th. Brick bright evening light, the crunch of runners' feet, the river, too old to care, claps for their small win. When you think back to April, we didn't, you know, a lot of us were left without routine. And so for a lot of the people who gave us feedback at the end, they said this became their routine. Um, that they would wake up, they'd have their coffee, take their shower, and then they'd wait for the, the prompts to come. And then they would write immediately. Um, some people did it at night. I could expect theirs to appear when I woke up the next morning. A lot of people wanted us to keep doing it. And I think that I didn't want it to fizzle out. I wanted it to represent a particular moment in time. I mean, I'm a historian. I'm not a poet. So I was actually as interested in the sort of the archive that was being created by these poems, that they're capturing something about that month um, that that we wouldn't have access to otherwise, if that makes sense. And it's different um, from asking people, you know, tell us what you're thinking or share your daily diary or whatever, you know, so it, people are in this sort of creative mode and yet it still is an archive of, I think, of, of emotion, sentiment during, you know, COVID-19 isolation. My name is Jeanette Cooperman and this is my poem for April 22nd. The hawk is my only companion in these quiet days, circling, soaring, freer than I with my desperation for Purell, my railings against Fox, my addiction to Zoom. The hawk is better company. Was there ever a temptation on your end or discussion with you and your staff about curating the poems in any way or not publishing all of the ones that came in? <laughs> Not really. We decided to publish everything and to not 
mess with the formatting at all, like even how people sign their names, things like that. Um, so as little as possible, we didn't even mess with, with the formatting, which is why sometimes things look a little weird on the page. Not to paint with too broad a brush here, but what sort of would you say were some of the kind of thematic trends that emerged in the pieces? Well, like, yeah, there was a lot about isolation and loneliness. There was a lot of search, searching for, or finding, I should say, finding joy or beauty in very small things that, you know, it was spring, that one might not have even noticed pre-pandemic you know, the way a bird lands on a particular limb in a tree or something like, you know, that where somebody just writes about something in detail. Um, So beauty, finding joy, memories, breath. I think breath figured um, prominently for, I think, a, a range of reasons. And loss, people reflecting back on on loss. Hi, uh, this is Jay Sushil and I'm going to read two poems. Uh, this first is one from 13th April. When there be no light left in the stars, when there be no sun or a moon, I will walk the stairway to your memory in that hour and plant myself forever. Uh, the next one is 17th April. A gust of wind hit the glass with the soft hands of death, the honey glued in the glass as life. I sipped my soul with the elixir of words. Oh dear death, please come to me, but with a face. From the feedback you got, you know, did you hear from people who said things like, oh, I don't really write poetry or I'm not... I wouldn't normally do this, but this has been so refreshing. I mean, did you get a sense of people who were sort of taking a first toe into this? Yes. There were a number who surprised themselves. People were treating it sort of like the morning crossword puzzle. You know, there was a structure there. No more than seven or eight lines. Here are five words. So for people who had never written a poem before, not since they were in sixth grade, it was like a, this easy invitation that you could accept. Plus, you could be anonymous. And then, you know, then it, you would see it posted online the next day. And that was really cool. But some of the, um, the feedback was so touching. There was someone who wrote in who um, said that she had suffered from, she was a professional writer um, and uh, had been really suffering with writer's block for quite some time. And this pandemic had only made it worse. And she started doing the daily poems and things started opening up. And by the end of the month, she was finding her sort of writing voice again. In terms of the programming from your center, had you done sort of online participatory projects like this in the past, or was this almost totally new as a program? Um, this was a first, but it, you know, it's, it's given me some, some ideas. I mean, we have a really robust kind of communications profile where we're out there a lot, but this posting daily, that sort of thing. No, we've never done anything like it before. 
the part of it that I really like is that it very um, sort of seamlessly <laughs> or easily breaches the sort of boundary between university and community very quickly. You've got participation um, from a range of people. And I like that. Yeah. And it, it actually brings me back to something you said earlier, which is that you were noticing on your social media feeds, so many people engaging in the humanities or the arts or kind of humanistic questions or texts. I'm wondering if you could reflect on maybe why people seem drawn to the humanities in moments like the one we're experiencing. I mean, I think what the humanities offer is a way to connect to each other, to reflect on who we are, who we are in, re- in relationship to other people. Uh, they help us reflect on our past, to imagine different kinds of futures. You know, I could go on. What I noticed when I'd look at Facebook or our, our Twitter was that when people were really first experiencing this kind of lockdown and dealing with that, so people started writing sort of sort of diaries and memoirs, but then they started playing games like, you know, what are your 10 favorite novels? And then there'd be debates about what those novels were. But it wasn't about sort of what you posted. It was about the interaction after. I realized, or it seemed to me, that what the humanities were doing and the arts were, were providing a way for people to reconnect to each other in the absence of the institutions that we take for granted in connecting us. And so when I looked at my own universities, and I'm, I'm sure that we weren't alone in this, you know, the daily kind of news, every news story was connected to COVID-19 and, and what the university was doing and what the medical school was doing and what the, you know, Institute for Public Health was doing, but not really about how people were coping and recreating ties to each other. And so... I wondered why there weren't those stories out there. So it was also about creating or or maybe amplifying the spaces that I was seeing on social media through this um, Lifelines project. Jean, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Take care. listening. This is a production of the Consortium of Humanities Centers and Institutes, with special thanks to Jean Allman, the J.H. Hexter Professor in the Humanities and Director of the Center for the Humanities at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks also to this episode's poets, Mark Alford, Jeanette Cooperman, Gwyneth Henke, Robert Henke, and Jay Sushil. The show is produced by Craig Ely, with help from Jade Isiri Ramos.